Hello and welcome back to Easy Being Green, Lessons in Sustainable Business. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's a recording of an interview I did for the Dream Festival 2022 in Exeter, Devon, which is my home county. The festival was run by the Signet Theatre to bring art to unexpected places and help everyone find their creative spark. And I was asked, along with my interviewee, who is a professional in the theatre and film, to share insights about our dreams, our past and present and future dreams, and how creativity fits into that. So what does this have to do with sustainable business, you might ask? Well, plot twist! (laughs) The person that I interviewed is someone who has been a huge inspiration to my own career journey, writer, director and filmmaker Lynn Ferrand, otherwise known as my mum. Lynn founded Turning Point Theatre Company and then became the creative director of Buzzword Interactive Films, two impact businesses with strong purpose. Lynn's work over her 40-year and counting career has addressed diverse health and social issues, from racism in rural communities, to the impact of parental mental illness on children, to bullying in schools, and the challenges faced by those who find themselves unexpectedly often as the primary or sole carer for a loved one. And she did this through award-winning theatre and training film dramas. In our conversation, we had a look at our own dreams from one elder millennial, that's me, to someone who's on the cusp of the silent generation, that's my mum. We looked at how our dreams from childhood through to now and beyond differ and are more often than not actually the same. The different journey our lives have taken as women and the similarities in the challenges we both face, despite the generational gap. Now, the audio quality in this episode is a little bit echoey as it was recorded in a very large room. (laughs) Nevertheless, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello and welcome to Late Starters, Early Dreamers. I'm Charlie and I'll be your host for today. So allow me to introduce myself and my dreams. I got a degree in journalism from Cardiff University and after that I found myself a bit lost. I didn't really know what my dreams were. So I took a job as a call taker for the ambulance service and then I went to Australia where I worked as a waitress, a receptionist, office manager, even a fruit picker. I even found myself in Dubai for a bit working as cabin crew for Emirates Airlines. Eventually, I decided it was time for me to put that hard-earned degree to use and get a proper job. And that's how I found myself in my accidental dream career of marketing and communications in Sydney, one of the most amazing cities in the world, which is probably how I ended up staying in Australia for another decade. Then five years ago, my dad got sick and I closed the chapter on one dream but I opened the book on a whole host of other dreams, including launching a podcast, launching my own business, working as a freelancer. And now I spend a lot of my time talking about and writing about my current dream, which is achieving a sustainable future for us and for every generation to come. And so that brings me to today, where the chat online is a lot about the differences between our generations the stereotyping of millennials, that's me, as being entitled, of baby boomers as being technophobes, of Gen Zers as having zero attention span. But is all this really true? And when it comes to chasing our dreams, 
are we actually a little bit more alike than we think? Is there really a generational divide? So to answer the question, I thought I'd use my honed interviewing skills to extract wisdom from somebody who has inspired me in chasing my dreams throughout my own life, and that is my mum. I'm 39, I know I don't look it. And that's how old mum was when she had me. So, but thinking about how we both got to where we are today and beyond, it's been a very different journey for both of us. So here we are. Mum, Lynn, <laughs> let's start today by finding out a little bit about you. I was born into a musical, theatrical family um, and raised in London and had quite an interesting and unusual childhood. Um, sadly, I lost my father when I was just eight years old, but I had a much older brother and sister. Uh, and they were both involved in music and the theatre. And it was an extraordinary experience for a child of eight to be taken to Drury Lane Theatre and watch her sister from the wings of, the, of Drury Lane in the shows, the big musical spectaculars such as The King and I and Carousel, to go to the Coliseum Theatre and see my sister in Call Me Madam, and then sometimes to go to Abbey Road Studios with my brother um, and watch him conducting a huge orchestra when he was in the process of making um, a, a record or an LP as a composer and um, a musician. So that was my start in life. And um, I always had this dream that somehow I would follow in their footsteps. But it was a rather a misty dream. And also because my mother was a widow, there were financial implications to how I would progress in a career. Um, and it was told to me that I should think about things in terms of um, not being in such a, a difficult profession as theatre. That's so funny because <laughs> when I was thinking about my dreams as a child and how they've changed, I, um, I wanted to be a vet or actually a ballet dancer or, yes. <laughs> um, or Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. And I, you were always very encouraging for me to, to achieve whatever dream I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think you probably would have quite liked me to have gone into the theater to follow in your footsteps. Um, but it, it, so it wasn't, it wasn't any pressure from anywhere mm -hmm. from my parents that stopped me from, from pursuing those yes. dreams. It yes. all came from myself. So that's really interesting that that was the difference between our childhood. Yes. So you've mentioned your dreams as a child. Yes. How did they change and why did they change? Or did they change? Yes, they did change because um, marriage and children, four children, uh, supporting my husband in his career, the usual things that women women of my generation went through. Um, and I didn't come to having a career in theatre myself until I was in my 40s. Um, and um, it was, you know, a, a sort of serendipity thing that happened to me because I started writing and I was beginning to do work for a local radio station and commissioned me to write um, a soap opera. I was doing voiceovers. Um, I was getting in on the, the sort of fringes of, of professional um, theatre and radio. And I decided the best thing to do would be to start looking at writing a piece of theatre that I could then find a way of producing. Um, and I looked at how I was feeling about being 40 and how the next 20, 30, 40 years would be for me. 
and I wrote a play with a rather cheesy title called You Deserve a Good Rest. Um, and I sent the <laughs> script to the director of then um, Age Concern, it's now Age UK. And she wrote back immediately and said she loved it. And would I be prepared to produce it and present it at a big conference in London for the Centre for Policy on Aging? I received a grant of £800, which was an enormous mm. amount of money then, and we're talking 1999, 2000. Um, and yes, we took that play with a group of semi-professional actors to London, and it was a huge success. It was a turning point in my life, and the company that I set up was called Turning Point <laughs> Theatre. I set up a, a film company after that because we had lots of commissions and over 15 years we worked with a whole variety of voluntary and statutory agencies creating theatre, workshops, film for people working in health and social care but also for service users. So we looked at schizophrenia, we looked at carers, we looked at bullying in schools, we looked at domestic violence, we won a whole raft of awards for the work. Um, one particular instance shows you how, in those days, people didn't understand certain issues around health and social care. With the play Carers, all the tickets came back for the first performance, printed careers, oh. and when I contacted the printer, he said, there's no such thing as a carer. Oh, gosh. And I had to say, I said, there's 7.9 million carers then. There's a lot more today. Um, there is more understanding today, and uh, we were the first company that really blazed a trail for this sort of work, raising awareness about health and social issues, and certainly using forum theatre, which is interactive theatre. Um, and so that was how my initial idea changed, because I think, first of all, it was rather egotistical. It was about me wanting to you know, stand on the big stage and sing and dance. It changed because I, I realised that theatre could be really impactive and could change how people thought about certain subjects and influence them. And I know that it did that over the 15 years that I worked um, in uh, worked for, with Turning Point and Buzzword Films. So how did your creative work fit into your dreams as progress through life? Yes, um, I think it was a much more mature um, approach to working in theatre. Um, as a young child and then as a teenager, I had sort of aspirations to sing opera and to be on the stage in the middle of the West End and those sort of things. Um, and as I experienced life, I realised that theatre could be a real um, useful tool, if you like, I hate using that word, yeah. but to, to really um, show people how lives can be changed by certain issues. So for instance, your life is going along quite happily and suddenly you become a carer overnight. And that does happen um, to an awful lot of people. Um, and so when I wrote the play Carers and we were doing performances to service users, to policy makers, um, to service providers, and then we would have a discussion afterwards. We played to packed audiences because people wanted to see their lives represented in theatre on the stage. And so that was how I progressed from my first dreams of being, if you like, rather egotistical into using my work to change things, really. Mm. So you talked about how creativity fits into your dreams. But was, were there any barriers, you talked about motherhood and the challenges that were faced, 
Were there any specific barriers that you found to achieving your dreams as a woman? Yes, yes, there definitely were barriers. When I was going into theatre directing and filmmaking, there weren't very many women doing this or using foreign theatre, which is a particular style of interactive theatre with an audience. Um, I did come across prejudice. I remember a particular arts officer when I had been applying for funding for a project um, who said, you know, you can't do it all. You're, you're a woman. You can't possibly write, direct, um, be in the shows, make film. You know, I, there was a barrier at that point. Um, and I certainly came across it when I sat in rooms with county councillors who at the time mostly were male right. and who really didn't want to understand what I was trying to achieve. Mm. I, I, can, I can relate to that because, yes. I mean, although it's a very different world we live in now, in some ways it's so similar because I, I've stood in boardrooms full of men and had to put on a specific persona to be heard. So. It's in a lot of ways, well, and that's in in a marketing communications role where it's very. Uh, there's a lot of women that work in my industry, but even still, when you're working with clients and there is yeah, a boardroom full of men, you have to be a different person. Yes, and I would also say that most of our best projects were commissioned by women. Oh. Um, not all of them, but most of them were because they had a, a an instinctive understanding of how the work would impact on the people that they felt should be influenced by the subject matter of the, the, the plays and the workshops that, that we were pushing, pushing up for audiences. Mm, that's really interesting. I think there's a, that's a really good point, place to talk about women in the workplace and mm. the differences perhaps on, you say, you know, the, some of the work, some of the best work that you did was commissioned by women. I think it's really important as when you're a young woman to, to go for positions that have have that gravitas and have, you know, reach for the stars. And when I was preparing for our chat today, I was thinking about the barriers that I've faced in my own career. And I found a couple of statistics about women who don't, why we don't apply as women for roles that we think we're not qualified for and perhaps the job description we don't tick all of the boxes and although there's a very famous quote by Sheryl Sandberg who is or was the CEO of the business that was previously called Facebook <laughs> Meta um, which was that 60% of uh, sorry men apply for positions if they meet just 60% of the requirements while women only apply if they meet 100% of them but in fact that was that was speculation, that was just something she said, it wasn't a statistic. So I dug a little bit deeper into it, and um, I wonder if you've, you've seen this in your, in, your, in your career as well, that the reason that we as women don't reach for the stars or apply for the jobs or you know, do what you did, which was like put yourself out there, was because we have been taught to follow the rules. Yes. And so we'll look at something and go, I don't, I don't, I don't tick all those boxes, so the rules are that I can't apply for that job, or I can't go for that opportunity, or I can't have this idea. Have you found that? Yes, I think quite often women have this deep sense of not being quite good enough. Um, even today, when there's so much more encouragement and women can do more or less anything, um, it goes back a long way. It could even be in our DNA. Mm. Um, because I found that I always had that sense before a project 
went ahead or even afterwards when it had won an award or it was playing to really large audiences it was never good enough it was there was always that thought well if a man had done this it might be better wow. it might have been better um and and you you definitely feel that because you you often get that feedback not necessarily verbally but a sort of unspoken feedback um from men that you know we probably could have done that better. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that was all the time because I worked with some amazing chaps who were really mm -hmm. supportive and creative and, and you know, applauded what I was trying to do. But there were times when I used to have to really steal myself and, and say, this is good enough. You know, yeah. you're, you're getting the, the reviews, you're, you're in The Guardian, you're in the stage, you, you're in magazines about theatre. They're saying that your work is good. Believe it. Yes. Uh, it's so difficult. It syndrome. I said this oh. to you the other day, and you're like, what's that? Have you yes. heard of that? Yes. And it, that is exactly what it is. Yes. It's, and perhaps that's why, but my husband suffers from imposter syndrome as well. We talk about it a lot. Definitely not just a woman thing, but I do think women suffer from it more. Mm. And maybe that's, that's why. Mm. And uh, so if you don't know, imposter syndrome is when you're in a role and you're always feeling like you're gonna get found out, like you've mm. got this job on mm. false pretenses and you're not actually qualified, yes. goes back to what I was saying before. So interesting, and you have to remind yourself all the time, mm. hang on a minute, I've worked to get to this point, yes. I deserve to be where I am today. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you. Um, and, and something for me is that I'm coming back into the workplace after mm. being sort of mothballed for the last five years because having um, written a play called Carers, which was hugely successful and looked at the lives of poor carers in depth um, and toured the whole of the UK and also went to uh, America and another play which was about carers of um, people with a mental health problem such as schizophrenia um, I, I really began to think that this would never happen to me and as I said just now it can happen overnight and in 2016 that's what happened to me I became a carer for my husband overnight and as I said I've, I've been in mothballs uh, fortunately my husband survived and he's doing well and I'm ready to launch myself again into some sort of new project um, and I'll tell Charlotte about that in a minute because she's going to ask me a question. Yep, that's right. So next question <laughs> along those lines is what are your dreams now and how does society, culture and your age impact your future aspirations? Well, two, two very good questions there. Um, my dreams are different now because of my age. Um, time is limited um, and I'm caring for my husband. But that doesn't mean that I don't still have uh, aspirations and dreams. Um, they're just different, perhaps they're slightly narrower than they were, um, but I feel that it's really important to stay creative. If that's been your work and you pull yourself out of it, as I have over the last certainly five, six years, you really notice the loss. Uh, it's almost a tangible thing. Um, and it affected my mental health and certainly COVID being locked down did that as it has done for lots of people. So recently I did a talk um, to people working in the field of mental health and that was very stimulating and it made me realise that 
this is something I should launch into again. So um, I've launched a, a, a small organization called Creative Road, and we're hoping to offer work to those working in health and, and social care, um, such as workshops, um, theater, forum theater, and possibly even go back into filmmaking. Um, but uh, what was the second part? Sorry, Shana. Um, how does society, culture, and your age? I think society, that? culture, does have a thing about age. I mean, there are more women speaking up. There are actresses who are um, quite elderly who are saying, you know, I'm, I'm not old yet. I still want to keep going. I think when you get to my age, um, you really have to fight hard mm. because people make their minds up about you within the first three minutes, mm. uh, or I think it's three seconds. Um, yes, yes. And if you look elderly, mm. you're immediately disadvantaged. And I have found that. Um, they're always suspecting you of having Alzheimer's, um, and I'm not, you know, denigrating, but there's not enough being done for people who aren't fitting a perfect image that you see on adverts of people on saga holidays, uh, or people buying funeral um, insurances, you know, we, we, we're not all perfect, you know, we don't all have wonderful figures and beautiful grey well coiffured hair um, but we still are alive and I think where there's life there is hope and you should be allowed to pursue your dreams until you can't do it anymore mm. until you've turned up your toes and that's it <laughs> okay yeah. yeah I mean I just think that's really such a good point because I feel like especially for women because men seem to get old and grey and become somehow distinguished mm. if you if you look at Hollywood as an example. Yeah, yeah. And women become hit the menopause and become invisible. Yeah, completely invisible. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're Jennifer Aniston and you have loads of money and you can <laughs> make yourself look twenty years younger than you are. But not everyone can do that. And why should we? Yes. As well. And why do we have to stop when we hit retirement? Yes. And I always find it really infuriating and I know people do it from the kindness of their hearts it's not meant mm. in a bad way but when people talk to older people in this tone of voice mm. like they're stupid mm. and you don't know where this person's come from so the first thing I will ask somebody who is of an age is what did you do in your mm. working life what was your career mm. because every, they've got to 60 70 80 years old by being alive that long, you know, and they've had experiences and they've had dreams. But also there's something else here, Charlotte. I think older people don't do themselves any favors because they tend quite often to fit into the stereotype that right, they see yes. instead of fighting against it. And they're against, you know, you often hear them being interviewed against young people, mm. young people this and young people that, not everybody, but, um, you know, I've heard television, television interviews which make me really cringe mm -hmm. because I need to work with young people because they've got so much energy and I can tap into that energy and mm -hmm. it, it, it sparks things off in my brain, my old decrepit brain, <laughs> and it comes to light again, um, it comes to life um, with a light shining in there, yeah. if, you, if you see what I mean. Oh, I've, I've witnessed that, absolutely, mm -hmm. and I think it's so important for people who are retired to not think that they have to just give up you know mm -hmm. you've got so much left to give yes. you've got so much life experience yeah. and 
And like you say, surround yourself with younger people if that's what helps mm. bring out that energy. Without being patronised, yeah. you know, I, I don't really want to join a group of elderly people and have a young person saying, oh, you look lovely, <laughs> Violet, dear, or have another cup of tea. You know, that's, to me, I want to be treated as an equal. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, it's working. Well, there's a through line, isn't there, in mm. all of this, is being treated as an equal. Mm. Because I think when you're very young and starting out your career, you can be patronised. Mm. And you have to really yes. earn respect. And then you, you get to a level where, probably around where I am now, at nearly 40, where I'm very confident in my abilities. And I feel like people respect me. Mm. But I know there'll be a tipping point mm -hmm. where it will... People look at my age mm -hmm. and that will go against me. And I think women between 50 and 60, which you're still very much working, mm. if you want to change your career at that stage, it can be a bit harder because people look at you differently. I think it's about maintaining dignity. Mm. Um, it, it, in the world we live in today, in, in the UK, it's very difficult. Um, I mean, we've seen what's been going on with our government. Um, to, to maintain that level of, of calm dignity which um, can let people, which is a flag, you know, saying that I'm not going to be patronised, I'm still valid, I'm not invisible, I've still got something to offer society. That, that, that might be part of the, the, the secret. Excellent. So last question for today and that is, when you are chasing a dream, how do you know when to stop? When do you draw a line in the sand, this is not working, it's time to stop? <laughs> um, I think when the undertaker comes in. <laughs> I mean, I, I, for me, I think when I recognise that I'm not able to um, do the work to the right standard. I mean, five years ago, I couldn't do theatre, so I started writing books. Mm. And I've written five novels now, and I've got a memoir coming out soon. Um, and, you know, that kept the creativity going. And while I can still do that and do the odd piece of theatre or a workshop or use my experience, because I've got a lot of it now, um, that really, you know, there, there will be a, a, a red light that will happen at some point which will say, you're not up to this, step back. It doesn't mean to say I want to take over from young people, not at all. I, I want to benefit from their experiences and I'd like them to benefit from mine. Yeah. Well, there's a mentoring role there as well, yes. isn't there? Yes, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to finish our discussion. <laughs> thank you so much, Mum, for your time today. Oh, it's thank you. so lovely to get a little bit more insight into, into you and work with you in a professional capacity. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Charlotte, and the best of luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of Easy Being Green, Lessons in Sustainable Business. I've been your host, Charlie Ferrand Higgins, and I was in conversation with writer, director, filmmaker, and my mum, Lynn Ferrand. Lynn's new project, Creative Road, offers workshops, theatre and film to those working in mental health with carers and in the NHS. For more information, head to lynnferrand.com, that's L-Y-N, 
F for Foxtrot, E-R-R-A-N-D.com, or you can find Lynn on LinkedIn. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that by heading to easybeinggreenpodcast.com or finding us on Instagram at the Easy Being Green Podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would so, so, so appreciate your five-star review, which helps other purpose-driven business owners, founders, and employees just like you to find me. I'll be taking a break from the podcast for the next episode to go and get lost in the wilds of England for a much-needed break offline, off social media, and off the interwebs. But we will be back in July with some more inspirational and informative conversations from the movers and shakers in green business. Until then, thanks so much for being here and don't forget to keep it green.